there's something about him I feel like it's me I'm looking right at him He's literally me Welcome to another episode of Literally Him, a deep dive into Ryan Gosling's filmography. I'm your co-host, Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Emilio. Welcome back for another episode, everyone. I want to start off our episode by saying that I'm a little sick, so you can probably hear me. My nasal passages are definitely a little stuffed, but I also want to ask mm. Emilio, how are you doing? I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, doing good. Um, had a nice little Thanksgiving yesterday. I actually saved my mom's turkey because <laughs> it's kind of... It's kind of hard to talk about it and not think in the back of my head like I, I, I expected this to happen. But my mom got a 20-pound turkey and it was frozen and she put it in the fridge and she told me to take it out on Tuesday. And I read the instructions and it said to take it out four days prior to when you want to cook it. Oh, fuck. So she prepped it and everything and it was... she put this thing in the oven like at two and two in the, after, in the new, afternoon. And then um, around six thirty seven, I was kind of like, I think this should be done by now. And we kept checking the temperature. Well, I kept che- checking the temperature and she kind of like barely would poke the thermometer into the breast. And I would like shove that thing in there. So it would read 165 when she would do it. But when I would do it, it was reading like 120. So I just told her, uh, well, I could just take this thing apart and like we can cook it like that. And I just started deconstructing the turkey and almost everything in it was raw. <laughs> Fucking Christ. So, <laughs> so if I didn't do that, we would have eaten raw turkey. And I probably would be sick right now. <laughs> it is. This is like a thing that makes you think about getting older and how there are situations where our parents become us like kids and it's always just so odd to have to experience that with your parents. Like, uh, I remember uh, not too long ago, my dad uh, replaced the stove and um, there was a gas leak and I had to call like someone to come fix the gas leak. And in that moment, I was like, damn, yeah, this could have been really bad <laughs> if I wasn't here. <laughs> we all could have died. <laughs> yeah. This uh, house I grew up in would have been to smithereens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But that's cool. Yeah, I also had a, a good Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Um, you know, it used to be mac and cheese. I do. I honestly do like turkey, um, especially the breast. But uh, <laughs> that was not a that was not an in, in, innuendo. That was a genuine love for turkey <laughs> breast. But um, I I don't know why. Over the past year, I've been really into like potatoes. So I kind of like made a little potato uh, turkey bowl. Maybe I was just being like subconsciously trying to eat healthy or something. But um, yeah, I've been fucking with potatoes. <laughs> you, heard <it> here. <laughs> you heard it here first, everyone. Emilio's a breast man. <laughs> a breast man and a potato man. So if you, <laughs> if you are both, then you're in... <laughs> If you're a potato and you have breasts, you're you're the one for me. <laughs> Speaking of breast, 
Today we're talking about Blade Runner 2049. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was surprised that there is some nudity in this film. Um, It feels like a lot of films... Uh, at least like more presently a lot of films that want to have international appeal shy away from that but i guess in this movie it's like easily easily like edited out but i was mm-hmm. very surprised that there was nudity in this film but um i wanted to ask you first emilio um what is your history with this movie and then i also want to ask you um what are some of your favorite sci-fi movies video games anything in that genre well, I am a big fan of Blade Runner, the original one with Harrison Ford, and it was directed by uh, Ridley Scott. Um, yeah, I watched that movie like sometime in like my teens. Was completely blown away by it. Uh, but this was also during a time where I was watching a lot of eighties, late eighties, early nineties, like sci-fi movies. Um, so when Obviously, this came out in 2017, so this was already when I was pretty heavy into um, my Ryan Gosling obsession, and so when it was announced that he was in Star Trek, I was like, holy fuck, this movie's got everything. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, holy (laughs) shit, this fucking actor that I really, 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 really like is going to be in the sequel to a film that I really liked. Uh, so yeah, I went to go see it. I, maybe not opening night, but the, the night after that. And surprisingly to me, I mean, I kind of forget that Blade Runner is a little bit above being like a cult film. It definitely has like, it's, sure. it definitely has like, it's a niche of people who like it. Um, so when this one was announced, I thought it was going to be like fucking packed with people and it really wasn't. And, but I still really enjoyed it. But I was also thinking at the movie theater cause I was taking, uh, this girl I was seeing and she's never seen like Blade Runner or any other movie, uh, quite like this one. <laughs> so like halfway through the movie, I was, I was looking at her and I was like, fuck, this is a long ass movie. <laughs> But she ended up liking it. So, I it is long, dude. Like there were scenes in the movie where I was like, "This could be cut down like so easily." But it is like a visually stunning movie. Yeah, um, I have never seen Blade Runner before, either of them, the first one or twenty forty nine. So, in order to prepare for this movie, I watched the original. Um, that's a movie that's always escaped me. I love sci-fi. I love Ridley Scott. I love aliens. I love anything that he directs. I'm excited to see the fucking Napoleon movie that he just came out with. Um, so yeah. And then also like anything sci-fi adjacent, especially video games. I love, I love fallout. Obviously the fallout series like takes ideas of replicants from, um, Blade Runner and has incorporated into the video game. Um, I love shit that has like heavy ass lore. So I love uh, Lord of the Rings. I love um, the video game series Mass Effect that has just mm-hmm. infinite amount of lore. So this shit is like right up my alley. And watching the first one and then watching the second one, I was very like very captivated by both. I think both were fucking awesome. Um, the first one obviously stars uh, Harrison Ford. Um, I wanted to ask you, what is your thoughts on Harrison Ford's? What are some movies you like about him? And then what do you think about him in general as an actor? 
Uh, well, I mean, I obviously got into him from Star Wars, you know, playing uh, when he's playing Han Solo and then Indiana Jones. My dad got uh, me and my brother really into those movies. And then I watched like a few here and there, like growing up, like The Fugitive. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen like one or two kind of romantic uh, movies that he was in. But the ones that stick out to me the most are definitely the Star Wars films, the the original, um, the original original trilogy ones, Indiana Jones and The Fugitive. That that movie is a really good movie with uh, Harrison Ford in it and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, I wasn't really like I think it was just like a weird thing that happens. Like when you're in high school, you kind of become like encapsulated by someone, like whether it be like an artist or a musician or obviously an actor. So at the time, like I wasn't really encapsulated by Harrison Ford, but I always hear, you know, that he seems like a super solid ass dude and he like real down to earth, like super chill. I actually watch him in a series right now on Apple TV called um I think it's called Shrinking with Jason Segel yeah. and he's really good in that too. Especially like for his age, like it's actually very surprising how spry he kind of still is to getting into projects and stuff. Yeah, I love him in general, like just how notorious he is as a grump. Um, oh yeah. I I also love the movie The Fugitive. If anyone has not seen that movie and you're looking for something to watch this weekend, Please go watch that movie. I fucking love that movie so much. I always rewatch it at least once a year. Um, and um, I, you know, one thing that's in pop culture that has been passed around so many times is that promotion for this movie, um, Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford did like a press junket. And there's a very famous um, um, interview that they had in London. And they have this interviewer that keeps making the both of them laugh. And they're both like um, also taking like sips of whiskey. And um, it's it's just so like I forget what the name of the interview is, but I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. But it's just so funny to see Harrison Ford be so like chill and mellow and like laughing because notoriously yeah. he's always so like uptight and ready to be a grump. Um, so, yeah, um, that's the only thing I knew about Blade Runner going into it. <laughs> that <laughs> little snippet. Um but yeah, getting into the movie, like I fucking love the lore. I love the world that they build in it. Um, so some basic lore for the film, for the first one, it takes place in 2019. Um, anytime a movie sets something in the future and then now we're in that future date, it's always very funny. It's always jarring. Like, you know, whatever. They built their own world. That's what they established. But it is funny to be like, well, we're past that date. The future is yeah. now the past. <laughs> <laughs> the future is now, old man. <laughs> so in this world uh they use replicants they use these android robots they look just like people and they use them for slave labor but these android people called replicants um who are made by the tyrell corporation start to rise up and revolt against their human um enslavers um so what's established is the Blade Runners who work for the uh, law enforcement and hunt down and kill replicants or quote unquote retire them by shooting them in the fucking head pretty much. <laughs> and so 
basic things about replicants is that they are unable to show emotion, at least in the first one. Um, they are they only live to be about four years. Um, and also they have like uh, clear irises. So you can see straight through their eyes. You can tell uh, who they are. Um, so, Emilio, I wanted to ask you one last question. Okay. If someone made a clone android replicant of me and there was no way this replicant showed emotion was just like me had eyes that were filled in so they were not clear what is one way you would discern the imposter from the real person uh to not kill me what would you say what would you do way to not kill you oh yeah so you have to kill one of them immediately because the replicant the android is the bad guy so in order to get it right, you have a gun pointed towards both of us. How would you discern who is the real Joseph? Damn, that's a good question. I I know you're somebody that is very much like like you have like your boundaries and your personal space. Um obviously except when we're like drinking or something. You kind of let loose a little bit. So I think like what I would do <laughs> is I would um, <laughs> I would uh, give a good old smack on the on that wagon you got to you and the replicant, and I would see which one has the more acceptable reaction. That the one that's kind of uh, the one that. Because I feel like you would kind of be like, like, what was that about? <laughs> especially if it was from nowhere, like, especially given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And the replicant might be like, oh, hey, yeah, my wagon. Yeah, that's a joke that we have. And I'd be like, shoot that one. <laughs> that is not him. <laughs> Give this motherfucker the Voight contest right now. <laughs> I would, uh, if I was in that situation, I would uh, tell the rep, I would tell you both to pull down your pants. I'd be like, <laughs> my boy's hung. <laughs> so that's how I'm going to know. <laughs> oh, no, they're both hung. What do we do? Shoot them both. <laughs> I just shoot myself in the head at that point. <laughs> the world is better. There's two Emilios now. <laughs> I can die happy. Fucking world peace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to ask you. <laughs> I wanted to ask you next, do you have a synopsis ready for us? Yes. So, Officer K, a new Blade Runner for the Los Angeles Police Department, unearths a long-buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. His discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, a former Blade Runner who's been missing for 30 years. Oh, that's actually a pretty good synopsis like it doesn't give a lot away something i like that is a continuity from the first movie is that they start the opening shot with a um with a crawl that sets up the uh, movie like just basic info that you should know so it starts off with saying replicants are bioengineered humans designed by the tyrell corporation for off-world uh for use off-world okay i'm bad at reading everyone should know this (laughs) (laughs) they're uh oh god damn it their may strength made their them ideal slaves. Um, okay, I don't want to read this anymore. 
<laughs> I found like the shittiest fucking text on Google and it's so like <laughs> I can't read it. Well, whatever. So they just set up in the opening <laughs> that um so in the first one, the Tyrell Corporation are the first people to make these replicants. But now the Tyrell Corporation is gone, which we'll find out why that happens later. And now it's the Wallace Corporation that's in charge. And now the Wallace Corporation is making more advanced um, replicants that are still being used for slave labor. And then it establishes that people, whenever these uh, replicants go off the grid, they run away, they're hunted down by um, Blade Runners. Um, what I really like about this movie is that it really like a stat, it, you know, this all is pulled from real life. And this is very reminiscent of what happens in real life as well. That, um, police forces across the United States were established for our uh, organizations that were trying to find runaway slaves in the Americas. Um, so it's just like the parallels being shown, the commentary on society that's being made through this movie is uh, very cool. Um, but we ha- we established this opening shot. We're in California, 2049, 30 years after the original movie. And um, do you want to walk us through this opening scene, Emilio? Yeah, so we are taken, it looks like kind of like, you know what, the worlds are, the world is so different in this movie, obviously, like it is science fiction, so it's kind of hard to discern like what, uh, what exactly the landscape is like. It almost looks like a desert, like a desert landscape somewhere in California, and I wrote, um, I wrote that it looks like a, a French European farm, but it's all gray because it's yeah. all like a bunch of like grid patterns, but it's all yeah. gray. Um, and then we are introduced to uh, Sapper, I believe his name is. Oh, Sapper. Sapper, sorry. So Sapper. So Sapper is a farmer on this small little land and he farms protein, which is just like these little mealworms that he, um, I guess, develops on this farm. But Kay is there, which is Ryan Gosling. He goes into his home, begins to look around, and Kay pretty much tells Sapper that he's there to decommission him because he is a older running replicant. And there is some back and forth between Sapper and Kay. And Sapper basically tells him that he is somewhat of a traitor because he goes around hunting down his own his own people. And at this point, he does say that he's willing to go in or willing. He's giving himself up willingly. But uh, Kay tells him that he's not there to give in people willingly like they're going to be retired either way so then i i always forget um that these guys are robots pretty right. much because dave batista starts literally slamming ryan gosling into the wall and he beats like, holy the shit, shit. Out of him. yeah like he pretty much runs this guy through a wall and then um this little fight ensues and k gets i believe like his his eyeball his eyeball yeah he scans his eye to acquire his information and i he does not kill him but uh he pretty much uh gets the job done and i'm assuming off camera this is where sapper would have been decommissioned 
Uh, either he dies there in the house or um, something other of that nature. But uh, what did you think when you saw Dave Batista and his little uh, eyeglasses? <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I was watching those with uh, Gato, and her first comment was like, those are too small. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I, I love Dave Batista. Whenever he shows up in anything, yeah. I'm, I, got, I got so hyped in this moment. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, he's in it. Um, and their fight scene is so fucking awesome just to establish the movie. Like, this is his fucking job. He's good at it. Uh, he'll fight motherfuckers that are like twice his size and he'll win in the end. So um, I loved seeing him so much. And then Ryan Gosling just looks cool as fuck. Um, yeah. So from this scene, we see that he takes the eyeball. He scans it. He goes to talk to his boss via his like intercom. And while he's talking with his boss, he notices that there's a tree on the uh, outside of the house. Now, trees are like super rare they don't grow anywhere and we find out later that if you have real wood you are like essentially a millionaire so he finds that to be strange he takes a scan of the environment and he sees that there's a box that has been buried beneath this tree um and i think in this scene or in a later scene they take the box but his boss tells him to come back to uh los angeles um so we establish that he comes back to los angeles and um the first scene that I want to point out is that when Officer K, Ryan Gossing, is back in Los Angeles, he's walking into the uh, to the headquarters, and a cop yells at him, fuck off, skin job. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, in the lore of, um, of uh, the uh, Blade Runner universe, skin job is like a racial slur towards replicants. Um, but the name is very... Silly. What do you, what do you think yeah. about that, Emilio? <laughs> I I mean I understand the I I guess I understand like the nuance behind the word because it's like I would uh, I would equate it to like something like a, like plastic surgery like right. oh like like when you say like oh ni- like nice nose job or like it's like oh it's like an entire skin thing but it does sound a lot like. Another Something kind else. of job. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a blowjob, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, they really treat these replicants like shit. Oh my God. <laughs> um so oh, another thing that they established just to keep it with the lore of Blade Runner is that the uh, Bautista's character is a Nexus eight model. Mm-hmm. In the original Blade Runner, they only got up to Nexus six. So we're seeing that the new Wallace company is making better replicants like and also like they show more emotion too in the in the original one like it was impossible for the replicants to show emotion so they're getting even more uh lifelike more human-like um so yeah so he goes to the office uh he talks with his boss they run a test of the case and then uh officer k goes back home uh do you want to walk us through the scene where we're introduced to uh joy yeah, I actually do want to bring up uh, one thing from the film that the replicants, at least some of the replicants, have to do, which is they have to get to baseline. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, cause, yeah. because yeah, that part is like in a lot of literally him memes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, remember, I was watching it and I was like, God damn it, because <laughs> it's just used so much. But uh, essentially, it's this test to see if they break... Um, their baseline because all of these uh, replicants 
although they're meant to show more emotion and be more human-like at their core, their only job is to do their job. Um, they shouldn't be actually feeling these emotions and they shouldn't be having um, any type of thought that would hinder their jobs. So it's a series of words and questions and it it's uh, I, it looks like it's rated on how fast they can answer the question without hesitation. So like that's pretty much where if you pass you're at your baseline like that you're you're fine that there's no need to I guess give them another like psych evaluation or something. What's the word that they kept saying over and over? Interlinked. Yeah, that that was stuck in my head because like in the first movie we established that they give a test to weed out replicants that's called the Voight comp test and now they have this baseline test and the word that they keep saying over and over is interlinked interlinked <laughs> and Ryan Gosling saying over and over to like a camera um it is uh, that's another thing that this that I was very excited to see this movie is that so many literally him literally yeah. memes <laughs> are derived from Ryan Gosling in this movie and the, that was one scene where I was like oh yeah I, I've definitely fucking seen this before <laughs> yeah yeah, it's funny because um, that scene specifically is associated with like, I see like memes where it's, um oh, like you just got broken up with, but you but you shouldn't show emotion or whatever. And it's just like interlinked, 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 interlinked. <laughs> What's it like to hold a hand? Interlinked, interlinked. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's so funny. Um but uh, yeah, so after this scene, he goes back home and we're introduced to Joy, who is kind of like an artificial intelligence um, program that you can keep at home and is readily available to anybody that wishes to purchase this program. But Kay kind of uses her as like a partner, uh, like a companion that he can have at home. Um. She even like I be- I believe like she tries to make him a meal. Uh, she like shows him different outfits that that she decided to like try on. Um, I do want to say when when she so Ryan Gosling or Officer K is eating a meal, it looks just like cold uh, like porridge, mm-hmm. and uh, she like it's a hologram. So Joy is a hologram that walks around her. Uh, officer k's whole apartment and she uh, holograms a uh like a some type of dinner on top of the uh porridge to make it look more appetizing <laughs> but that did remind me of a uh, spongebob when like uh plankton uh his wife makes him like meatloaf like hologram meatloaf oh, yeah. um <laughs> and it's just very funny and then also in general like um this is a uh a sci-fi trope that has been done many times and in this scene it definitely reminded me of the movie her um just how like there is a virtual ai system that is very intuitive and smart and like uh and a and a real person or a realish person falls in love with it yeah. but um what what did you think of uh, anna de Armas's performance as joy uh you know what she's she's actually good in this film i mean i've seen her in like other stuff where she's obviously in a different type of role. But um, as the movie progresses, you can kind of see more of like the, I want to say like the humanity that's programmed within her because in like the introduction of, of like his home life, 
it comes off as very like niche, like, like, Oh, like this is like, um, just any other kind of program you can have at home. But then there's a scene where they go outside and it's like raining and K or she goes to embrace K, but there's like this disconnect. And I do like, um, how much they set up the fact that K is supposed to be very disconnected. Like he, he definitely shows these, um, attributes of wanting to have connection or have things in his life that he feels connected to. But it's kind of like constantly reminded that he doesn't have that. So I do kind of like it. Cause I, like I was like, telling you earlier like this movie does feel very existential and I feel like that could be why a lot of people kind of relate to this character and that's why they make so many memes about it because like this this character is kind of lost in seeking connection like seeking like something greater in this world that he's that he's in um but all these guys have in common with him is that they just have an AI waifu at home. That's not real. <laughs> uh, Ryan Gosling's performance with Anna de Armas reminds me of my pillow waifu and me. We're actually much akin. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, like watching the movie, um, I did feel very connected to Officer K. Obviously, like we all have moments where we feel really lonely. Um but it is concerning that so many people like gravitate towards him, uh, especially <laughs> because he is like very awkward and very, uh, you know, just, just, uh, I feel bad for him constantly. So to think that there are yeah. just troves of people that are like, that's me, that is a little scary. <laughs> but, you know, we all get lonely. <laughs> so we established that Officer K buys an upgrade for Joy. Uh, now her projection can follow him into the outside world. Like she's not just limited to the apartment. Um, creepy. But as they're about to share this, <laughs> as they're about to share this embrace outside in the rain, he gets an incoming call, and his boss calls him into work. So he goes back to the LAPD. They establish that they have um opened that box that was buried at that tree at the scene of the crime, and inside was a dead replicant woman who appeared to have given birth to a child, and everyone freaks the fuck out because. Up until this point, replicants cannot have children. They cannot conceive children. But now, suddenly, there is a replicant that seems to have had a child. And that's a problem because that establishes more legitimacy, more autonomy, and should lead to more freedom for replicants who are treated as slaves. So the boss calls in uh, Officer K, tells him that your assignment is to find this child. Um, I also wanted to point out that the boss the sergeant is played by uh, robin wright and she is an accomplished actor who is in house of cards but also first and foremost every time i see her she played fucking jenny in in uh, forrest gump so i always think about her in that um oh, what did you right. think of <laughs> what did you think about her performance in this movie as the like sergeant in charge i thought she was good i i watched this um coming off of watching house of cards so i was i was kind of just like oh shit like she's in this movie robin wright um but she does well she kind of it, it's so weird that you mentioned that she's in forrest gump because 
the work that she does in House of Cards and this movie as well. She comes off as very like calculated, kind of like, uh, for lack of a better, better word, borderline a little bitchy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how she is, which is how she kind of is on House of Cards too. But I mean, also she's playing like a fucking narcissist. Um, but yeah, I thought she was good in this film as kind of like a, a black and white cutthroat uh, lieutenant working for LAPD. Uh, I thought she did really great. I thought that she played the role as it was supposed to. Like mm-hmm. uh, there needs to be someone on, not necessarily on the side of Officer K that always reminds him like, hey, at the end of the day, you are a robot. You are assigned to us. You have a job to do. Like, get your shit together. You shouldn't have feelings, which is incredibly fucked up and just adds to the dynamic of Officer K uh, navigating the world. So from this, we cut to the Wallace Corporation and Officer K is trying to find some uh, data on this possible child replicant that was born. Um, Do you want to walk us through the scene when he goes to the Wallace Corporation? Yeah, so he checks in with someone who I believe would come off as like the, um, like a receptionist. Uh, he asks for these records that are associated with a serial number that was found on the uh, dead woman replicant's body. So, in doing so, it sets off an alarm to someone who I believe is maybe right under uh, Warren who is the owner of the company. So she kind of invites her way over to where they're looking at these records. And he basically, or they both basically tell Kay that, that this was like nothing. Like it was an old replicant that went missing. And now they realize that she's dead and like the case is closed. There is like some like subtle comedy, very, very subtle comedy in this movie. Because we have um, this uh, replicant receptionist that's showing Kay around, he they always they keep talking about a, a great blackout. So I guess years prior to the events of 2049, there was a huge blackout that happened where all everything that was held on computer systems was wiped out. So a lot of records that they have uh, were essentially gone. Uh, but whatever they do, st- whatever people do still have in terms of records was what was whatever was kept on paper. And this uh, this guy is telling Kay, oh, yeah, like my mother was so sad about this blackout because I apparently all my baby photos of me as a baby were missing. And Kay looks up at him and this guy's like a super pale kind of no eyebrows, bald dude. And he goes, oh, wow, you must have been a real cute baby. <laughs> it is like that was really funny it made me laugh because there is almost no space for ryan gosling to be his like typical funny self Mm -hmm. and he just got in there narrowly (laughs) it was really funny yeah um so then after this we're introduced to warren who is played by jared leto um it's kind of funny because uh me and my friend diego He's like big on this movie, also Blade Runner. He's just big on movies in general. Uh, but we were talking about how Jared Leto was in this movie uh-huh. and that the director, Dennis Villanueva, was a 
describing how Jared Leto was like on set. And he said, it kind of seemed like uh, he, he came off as like a reincarnation of Jesus. And me and uh, my friend Diego were like, Oh boy. (laughs) Another fucking thing to fucking stroke this guy's ego. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He, uh, Oh my God. Okay. Well, before we get into Jared Leto, I do want to point out that, as you pointed out, Dennis Villanueva is the um, uh, director, and he is a, a fantastic director. Mm-hmm. Uh, before doing this movie, he was just coming off of winning Best Picture for Birdman, and then the next year, The Revenant. And so, um, oh no, as that's, soon as the, I... um, that's a different director. Ah, fuck! You serious? Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's God. I forget his name, but Dennis Villanueva did a Arrival prisoners yeah. um he just did one recently too i think oh dune dune one and two yeah there you go who the fuck am i thinking about then uh something kuran oh yeah alejandro gonzalez Iñarritu. yeah i fucked up sorry everyone <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's pick it up from here so I don't look stupid. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so he's an accomplished, uh, director. I had just watched Arrival for the first time, um, just a couple months ago, actually. Gato really wanted to rewatch it, and, uh, fuck, that movie is so fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, bringing it over to Jared Leto, um, the first time I ever saw him on anything was in Fight Club. Um, he does an amazing performance there. And then the next time I saw so much buzz around him was for Dallas Buyers Club. And he does such a fucking phenomenal job. And he also won um, Best Supporting Actor that year at the Oscars for his performance mm-hmm. in that movie. But um, yeah, man, it really seems like he got a swelled fucking head after that because he's just I've just heard so many odd stories about him trying to get into character as the Joker, delivering severed pig's heads to fucking Will Smith and other castmates yeah. like... Uh, what are your personal feelings about Jared Leto? I don't like him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, uh, he does great performances. This one was kind of like, whatever. Like, I just kind of picture Jared Leto thinking that he's like the most important person in the world, which I'm sure he probably thinks in real life. Yeah, um, he's probably like, oh, I get to be myself. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm just blind. Cool. I can do that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like there's so much controversy with him, especially with the band that he's in Maroon 5. Or no, not Maroon 5. Uh, 30 Seconds to Mars. 30 Seconds to Mars. Yeah. Yeah. I keep confusing. I like how we're, we keep talking shit, but we're like, we know everything about him. He's a 30 <laughs> Seconds to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like apparently they sell packages to people that you can go and stay on this island with them and you get like a private uh, acoustic show and there's a lot of um i'm not sure if it's ever been disputed or not but a lot of like underage fans have said that jared leto tries to like hit on them um what else oh like apparently he was in the desert when fucking covid happened and he posts on instagram like whoa what's happening i was on my retreat uh out in uh, Joshua Tree, and the world ceased to exist. Like it's just like, dude, <laughs> go get fucked, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what a weirdo, oh, man. Yeah, he is definitely someone I think about 
when um, I think about method acting. And as I brought up before, one of my favorite quotes from uh, Robert Pattinson about method acting is like, well, haven't you noticed whenever someone does method acting, they're always playing an asshole and it's never a nice person. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, Jared Leto definitely embodies that. Um, so yeah, we're introduced to him. He's the leader, the CEO of the Wallace Corporation, and he is seeking to find a replicant that can uh, give birth to another replicant. Um, so he comes off as this, like, uh, he's also a replicant himself, I believe, or is he a human that takes replicant parts to, like, alter his DNA? I, that's what I wasn't sure about. I think he is human that uses replicant parts for just that, because he's always trying to make the replicants better. Because even there's a scene when we're introduced to him where, like, there's this naked woman. Um, it very, it kind of plays off very much like like he has just given like birth to this replicant and he's kind of looking this replicant over and he's just so enamored with the fact that there was a replicant out there that was able to have a child that at this point any new replicant now is like shit compared to what this child is so he kills her like on the spot uh k goes back to um sapper's house to investigate the home and then he finds a uh wooden horse yeah yeah so he finds this wooden horse and it has a date underneath it and it's kind of funny that he brings um joy around with him because joy immediately starts asking like oh like is this uh do you think this is like a birth date do you think this is like like the date that someone died like what what do you think this is and it's kind of um there there's like these little moments where i do like the fact that he has joy as like a companion because you kind of can't see you kind of get to see a little bit more of like a personality that k has and how much personality these replicants have like after the events of like the first blade runner cuz the ones in the first one are are so different compared to these ones. Um, but I believe there is also a scene right before this. Oh, no, no, it's uh, after this. So he goes to see his lieutenant, and she's pissed off because it gets leaked that a replicant had a child because uh, Warren Wallace's uh, assistant, whose name is Love, who is a replicant, goes to the evidence room and kills another replicant to get the bones out of this room. So the lieutenant's pissed off and she's saying that it's out there. This can create a huge, this can create like chaos pretty much. Um, and she asks Kay if he found anything in Sapper's home. And he says that all he found was a uh, small child's sock. And she begins to ask him, like, oh, do you have memories? Like, what are your memories like? And Kate tells her that they're implanted, that they're not real. And she says, well, what's like one memory that you have? And Kay recalls this memory of him as a child in a an abandoned warehouse being chased by kids who are trying to take away his wooden horse. And so he stands yeah. up. He stands up to these kids and he uh or he he stands up to these kids, but he hides this horse somewhere in the warehouse. And um, 
it's kind of weird because right after this, uh, the lieutenant is kind of being a dick. Yeah. And she's kind of like, yeah, like, you guys like do whatever you're told, huh? And then she she looks at the whiskey that she's drinking and she goes, what would happen if I have a few more of these, huh? And Kay is just like unresponsive to her. <laughs> no Riz. She can't even get a fucking replicant. No, no Riz. Riz. Yeah, there, there's so much that happens in this movie. Keep in mind, this movie's runtime is like two hours and 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also before this, there's a scene where Kay is just having lunch outside somewhere in L.A. And there are like a group of, uh, of uh, sex workers that are outside. And a random dark figure walks up to them and says something to the effect of like, there is a man over there uh, dressed in green, something, something, and like, all these sex workers understand like, oh, we need to go fucking find this guy. They, they walk up to um, Officer K and this one sex worker starts to talk to Officer K and ask him questions like, oh, what's that picture you're looking at? Is that a real tree in the background? And so there are like shifty things happening in the background that lead the uh, the, the watcher of the movie to just be like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, yeah. is the Wallace Corporation looking at Officer K? Are there people like another group of people possibly that are trying to backstab him or something? But there are just so much shit happening in the background. On top of this, there is another scene where Love, the assistant, goes to the LAPD and takes the remains of the replicant who gave birth and kills one of the uh, uh, people doing the autopsy. Just like crushes his fucking brain, like stabs him in the back of the head. It's fucking brutal. (laughs) Um. Uh, through some DNA testing, they established that there's a possibility that this replicant who gave birth gave birth to two children, one being a girl and one being a boy. They find out that the girl possibly died after childbirth and that the boy went off to live in an orphanage. So mm-hmm. they go to this orphanage that's in San Diego. And uh, I thought it was really funny that they give a big fuck you to San Diego because <laughs> all of San Diego in 2049 has been turned into a municipal waste facility it's just like (laughs) it's literally like a gigantic fucking junkyard (laughs) (laughs) it's so fucked up but hey and like i guess like the residents or the locals are like the equivalent to uh what are those characters in um star wars the sand people uh yeah the uh tuscan raiders yeah the tuscan raiders are pretty much like the equivalent of that because they see k flying in on his police car and immediately try to shoot him down and I'm assuming they want to like take his car apart as well as him for parts. Um, so yeah, fuck. It was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, uh, yeah, JK. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it was funny in this scene. Um, they uh, so they shoot down K, and uh, K gets out and immediately fucking murks like four people around him. Yeah, like someone tries to grab him out the car, he shoots some guy in the back of the head, another person in the chest. And then um, uh, as like more and more of these like people start to come out about to attack Kay, random mortar fire just starts to fall and blows up all these people. And we see that Love back in L.A. at the Wallace Corporation is sending out these bombs, sending out these uh, uh, missiles. So like she is there not to help out Kay, but just for Kay to lead them to the child of the replicant. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after we cut to them showing up to the orphanage, uh, do you want to walk us through the scene, Emilio, where Kay shows up to the orphanage? 
Yeah, so it turns out this orphanage is a <laughs> giant um, child slave labor uh, warehouse. Uh, yeah. But they're all replicants, um, which is still not <laughs> okay. <laughs> you said it with the cadence like, but. <laughs> but they're not It's real. a little better. <laughs> um, and we're introduced to this character whose name I did not catch in the film, but he's played by the same actor who's in The Walking Dead. Yeah, it's uh, Lenny, Lenny James, and his name is Mr. Cotton. Oh, Mr. That's that's weird. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, it's it's an odd name for him, for him, but uh, <laughs> could have easily picked a different name. That's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but uh so Kay reveals himself to be a police officer and Mr. Cotton uh starts telling him like, "Oh, I run a legitimate business." Um I have like permits and whatever people real. He even like makes a jab at him. He says real, real men have even tried to take me down. Like you're not going to take me down. And Kay pretty much haggles him, gets him to show him uh, records of this boy that could have possibly been in this, uh, in this orphanage. And in doing so, he begins to look around the warehouse and he realizes that this is the same warehouse that he sees in his memories. So he begins to walk around and he goes to the exact same spot where in his memories as a child, he hid this toy horse and he goes inside it and he finds a wooden horse. Yeah. So now Kay is in a total mindfuck. He thinks that he might possibly be the child that he's looking for. And so him and Joy have a debrief back in L.A. And Joy tells him, like, you're a real person. You're a real man. Um, Officer Kay, or Kay is not a suitable name. We got to think of a real name for you. And she suggests um, your name should be Joe. And, um, you know, my name's Joseph. And I perked up like, oh, that's nice. But before I could say anything, (laughs) Gato was next to me. She's like, Joe, Joe is better than K, and I was like, "What the <laughs> fuck, man? <laughs> That's my fucking name, pretty much." <laughs> so, uh, from this scene, we see that K needs to find out how can you find if a, a memory is real or not, if it's been implanted in his head or it's a real memory he's had since he was a, a child. So he goes to meet with a doctor, and her name is Doctor Anna Stellan. Dr. Anna Stellan. Uh, do you want to walk us through this scene where he meets with Dr. Anna Stellan? Yeah. Also, I, I want to point out that the um, CGI and the special effects in this movie are insane because oh, yeah. uh, in this scene, we see Dr. Anna. She's in pretty much like an incubation type chamber. Um, but uh, when we're introduced to her, she is in a completely computer generated world. Um, And it looks like she's in the jungle. And what she's doing is she's fine tuning all these different um, little computer images to come off as real memories. Um, So she's pretty much like a, like a pretty much like a, um, like a graphic designer or like an artist. Like she handcrafts, and meticulously puts together all these different little nuances that make memories 
memories for these replicants. So when Kay is introduced to her, he asks if he can speak to her about an ongoing case in which she is pretty excited to do. And while he's uh, describing what he's there for, you see her working on a memory which is of a little girl blowing out candles on her birthday. And it looks insane. It looks like these kids in this cake are like in the room with her, which I'm sure to some extent it is, but obviously a lot of retouching and editing has to be done to make it appear like it is there, but it's also not there. Um, and we, so once she finishes up, she goes to Kay and she tells him that, uh, you can tell the difference from a real memory and it, and an implanted memory, and it's in feeling. Memories to humans are associated by feeling. It's not necessarily the event that happens, but how the event made you feel. So she tells him that I can take a look at this memory for you. And in looking at this memory, she tells him that it is a real memory, but it's not his. And then we get another famous meme where <laughs> Kay is looking down and he says, I know it's real. And he sits there for a bit and he yells, God damn it. And he gets up and throws the fucking chair in the room. Ah, it's great. Great meme. <laughs> this is, yeah. Like I, I also wrote down, God damn it. In all yeah. caps. And then I put iconic, literally him meme. Yeah. <laughs> But it is uh, concerning that a lot of young boys watch that and they're like, yeah, that's me. That's how I get angry. <laughs> <laughs> Our society's in trouble. Uh, so um, Kay immediately gets arrested from leaving this interaction with the doctor um, and he gets thrown into another, um, fuck, what's the name of the test again? Uh, baseline test. He gets thrown into another baseline test uh, test. And like you can see that he is like visibly distraught. Um, and he is saying interlinked again, interlinked, interlinked. But like you can see in his face that he's like super, super fucking like not there. And even the person giving the test or the or the camera robot, whatever it is giving the test, is like, you are far from baseline. And so he gets chewed out by his boss and tells him, like, you failed the test. Like, you know how bad this is? Like, what I can do for you. Um, is that I can give you another test in 48 hours. But if you don't pass that one, I can't guarantee that you're going to walk out of this building alive because as we established, once replicants go rogue, they're immediately killed. But he tells the boss like, oh, I did the job. I found the person. It's taken care of, like I told you. And it's a complete lie because at this point, um, uh, Officer K thinks that he might be this replicant that was born from another replicant. So he's sent home. Uh, when he gets back home, Joy takes it upon herself to call a sex worker. And um, how about you walk us through the scene, Emilio? <laughs> um, so uh, Joy calls the same sex worker that approached him earlier in the film. Because he thought that, or she thought that he had an interest in her. So the goal of what Joy is trying to do is she's trying to give... Um, K like a real experience, but also with her as well. So, um, 
this sex worker is used as like a body, a physical body in the situation. And Joy uh, sinks her um, computer image body onto her to make it seem real for Kay that they're about to get it on. And that's pretty much the, (laughs) that's pretty much what happens. About to do the nasty. Yeah. It's very, um, it's very strange. (laughs) It's very, um, this scene is another scene that I felt like was way too long. Like the idea behind it is very interesting and it's very like captivating to see Kay finally have some like type of physical, um, uh, attention that he was seeking through joy. Um, but I felt like the scene was just a little too long. Like they could have just sped it up a little bit more. Um, cause once joy, like puts her projection over the sex worker, like they just keep showing shots of that over and over and over again. It's like, I get it. Like I saw it the first time, (laughs) but it's very, it's very interesting just to like, um, push this dynamic with joy and officer K. So a couple things I want to speed up to where K goes to find Deckard. Um, so the next morning, the sex worker slips like a tracking device into um, Kay's pocket when he's not looking. We established that Kay has to go on the run and he wants to find this guy Deckard to possibly help him out. But before he leaves, he deletes Joy from the like hard drive in his apartment. And she now is only in his like portable hard drive in which she says, if this gets messed up, I I will, I'm going to die. Like there's nothing else where I'm going to uh, be with you, but that's just the risk they have to take. Cause they both have to run away. Um, so we cut to K. He goes to this radioactive city where he thinks Deckard is. This is also intercut with shots of love going to see, uh, officer K's boss. And she ends up killing the boss. Um, do you want to walk us through the scene where Deckard and officer K finally have a face to face? Yeah, so Kay finds a uh, bee colony that it's pretty much like a bee farm out in this radioactive city, which is actually supposed to be Vegas. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, what the fuck is this supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> so it's supposed to be um, Las Vegas. And so he looks around the area where these bees are and he realizes that there's a hotel with like a... um like an outlook to where he's at. So he goes into this hotel, which is supposed to be treasure Island. And he begins to walk around and he confronts Deckard, who is Harrison Ford in this film. Um, Kay tells him that he just wants to ask him some questions. And Deckard is obviously taken aback by him being there. And a small fight ensues throughout the home. Um, There is one fight scene that happens in I believe it's like a showroom so there's mm-hmm. cuts of like Marilyn Monroe um, people dancing a lot of Elvis Presley as well and in this scene they're fighting this scene also looks really good there's yeah. um, like I said there's like cuts going in between there's music in and out um, so it is a little bit like suspenseful I believe like that's the tone of what they're going for. Uh, but in this scene, this is actually the scene where Harrison Ford accidentally punched Ryan Gosling in the face. <laughs> yeah. Like in the scene they're fighting and it's like strobe light effects. So like they're walking towards each other. 
mostly just uh deckard uh harrison ford's character is beating the shit out of officer k um how would you react familio you're you're an actor you've done a lot of work um how would you react if you accidentally got punched in the face by one of your co-stars i'd punch them back (laughs) (laughs) gotta assert my dominance man (laughs) no i mean it happens like injuries happen you know it's just like an accident like i mean sometimes it can be um the actor getting really into it which i mean i'm sure would look uh like it would be a better shot or it would look more realistic on stage um but i mean if it was harrison ford that punched me in the face i would be thanking him graciously can I please fly in your plane, Mr. Harrison Ford? <laughs> Can I call you Harrison? <laughs> uh, yeah, so... <laughs> so from this... You know what I really thought was funny is, is... I'm not sure if it was lazy, but I do like it. Is like they stop punching each other for a second. And then like... Uh, uh, I think Deckard says something to the effect of like... I don't want to hurt you, but you're not making this easy. And so they stop fighting for a second... And then finally, they're just like, all right, do you want to grab a drink and just talk yeah. it out? They're like, okay, <laughs> just walk over and have a drink. That kind of makes me think of like, that's how Harrison Ford is in real life. He's kind of like, <laughs> ah, fuck it. You want, to just get, you want us to have a drink and we can figure out what's going on? Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always think uh, one thing we didn't bring up, but one thing I always think about with Harrison Ford is like how he flies planes. And like, uh, I don't know if you remember a year or two ago. He had like an emergency like landing and he almost yeah. like, crashed and fucking died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, I remember that. Not funny, but it is just like, <laughs> dude, stop flying fucking planes. Like, yeah. Go find something else to do. Pick up golf. <laughs> <laughs> just do anything, man. Uh, so they go off to have a drink and we established that Deckard um, had a relationship with a woman named Rachel who is a replicant which is from the first movie at the end of the first Blade Runner movie, Deckard runs away with the replicant named Rachel. And, um, he is, he tells, uh, officer K that he, they, uh, had a child, but that he, um, left them, uh, left Rachel and the children to protect their identity because mm-hmm. he's being, he was being chased after. So in order to protect them, he didn't know anything about their whereabouts, didn't know anything about them and just ditched them so that they could be safe somewhere else. Um, then, yeah, what else happens? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, he tells, yeah, he basically tells him that he went into hiding, uh, to protect them. And what Rachel had done was put, uh, the, had put their daughter into, um, adoption mainly because they both had a fear that if the corporation that makes replicants found out about her, they would basically use her as like a experiment and they would take her apart and um, try to figure out how she was born. Uh, But right after this, right before or right after this, um, they get ambushed by Wallace company goons. Uh, And then love shows up. They kidnap Deckard. Uh, She beats the fuck out of Kay. And in the process, joy hops out of, or she, projects herself in the room and she asks love to stop hurting Kay. and love looks at joy and says, I hope you're happy with our product. And she smashes the hard drive, killing joy 
right before she tells Kay that she loves him. And uh, she jumps towards Kay and says, I love you. And then she gets smashed. Yeah. And um, that was fucking heartbreaking. But of course, like in an earlier scene, she literally said, like, if this gets smashed, I'm going to die. So it's like, OK, we established that. So that's going to fucking happen. But mm-hmm. still, it's uh, <laughs> it's so fucking heartbreaking, dude. Yeah. I felt so bad for Officer Kay in that scene. <laughs> Yeah, and then so they take um they take Deckard to the Wallace Corporation. There's like two separate things going on at this point. So Wallace is in, I mean Wallace, uh, Deckard's in the Wallace uh, headquarters, and he's talking to Wallace. Wallace is explaining. He's asking where the child is. He can give him everything he wants. And on the opposite side, Kay uh, interacts with a group of replicants who are pretty much like a small resistance, I want to say. And he meets one of the leaders, who is the woman that took Deckard into hiding and hid his daughter. Because this daughter, this child, is pretty much like a beacon of hope for them to get um, get more rights, to, to be treated more uh, like human and that's pretty much all these people want and in doing so k begins to have a major existential crisis because she tells him that memory that he has they all have it because they all want to feel connected to like this greater being which is being more than like a replicant like being someone who matters or someone yeah. who like has a soul. So K K goes through like some major existential it's, crisis. It's so fucked. Like he lost the love of his life. Um, he thought he was special. Turns out he's not. Yeah, I'm literally I'm literally him. So that that, that was a moment. <laughs> but also, I want to point out that the resistance leader, her name is uh, Fraza, and she also says something that was really powerful. Of like, she says, if a replicant can have a baby, that like legitimizes them even more. And she says, if a baby can come from one of us, then we are our own masters. And just establishing like, like Officer K, you need to fight for something more than just yourself. You need to fight for our well-being for all replicants because we're all in this together. And I found that to be very powerful. But at the same time, I'm watching this movie with Gato. And Gato is uh, very fucking hilarious pointing out random shit. Um the actor who's playing the resistance leader, Fraza, is played by Hayim Abbas, and she is also in Succession. She plays the stepmom to the uh, to the uh, oh. Rory family. Oh yeah, and um, and Gato swears up and down that this woman looks exactly like my mom. So when she was like <laughs> delivering this monologue, she's like, "Hey, your mom is really smart. She knows what she's talking about." <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it was just, it was just really funny. So, uh, yeah. So from this, we established that uh, Fraza wants Officer K to kill Deckard because Deckard has the info to get back to the resistance group. And if Wallace finds out where they are, they're all fucked. They're all going to be killed. So uh, Officer K sets out to find Deckard and kill him. And we see that Deckard is being transported by Wallace Corp to have uh, his mind read, I guess, or to be like killed and, and like find out what he knows and tortured. Yeah. And uh, we also have a scene where uh, Jared Leto and Harrison Ford have a one-on-one. Um, 
in your personal opinion, because when I was watching this, I was like, dude, Harrison Ford must have been so pissed off that he had to work with this guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's so like, he seems like a guy that's like so not into nonsense or any bullshit. And I'm sure Jared Leto was just a little fucking freak. <laughs> <laughs> that's a way to describe him. A little fucking freak. <laughs> Fucking freak, Um, fucking blind freak with a beard. (laughs) And so um, they're like questioning uh, Deckard, and at one point they bring out a complete replica of a replicant of Rachel, his Mm -hmm. uh, his his lover. So he walks up to this replica replica of Rachel, and he's uh, uh, the replicant saying things like, "Oh, I missed you. I'm so glad we're back together." And it looks like Deckard's about to crack. And then he like composes himself and he says, her eyes are green, actually. And he walks away. And in the background, fucking uh, love just fucking shoots her right in the fucking head. Like, yeah. it's <laughs> so crazy, dude. Oh, yeah. man. They, like, they really are like this corporate entity that does not give a fuck. Sorry. Yeah, it is crazy because like in real life, the Wallace Corporation would be like, would be like Apple or like McDonald's or something Yeah, <laughs> like these random ass corporations that we use every day, but like they're probably, they're doing evil shit like this. It would be Disney. <laughs> what do you mean? You can't do another movie. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> just shoots him. Yeah. Just shoots him in the kneecap. We can make another one. But uh, so, yeah, so uh, there is like there is like something about this film that was kind of getting a little controversy, controversy. And it's that the actress who played uh, Rachel had passed away. And so they were people were kind of concerned about them doing this digital thing for her character because they did it for. uh, Well, actually, this happened after for. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. But um, they had done it also for one actor in another Star Wars film where he plays Grand Admiral Tarkin, I believe. Yeah. Um, But I think it is a little justified in this sense because the premise around this is that it's not really her. That it is supposed to be a fake version of her. Um, maybe I'm in like the minority on that one, but I didn't, I, I understand how using, you know, face an image of people that have passed on as like some type of money gimmick, which is, I'm sure what, you know, uh, rogue one kind of was because it is like a huge multi-million dollar movie where Disney was expecting multi-million dollar profits um, but in this moment, it's just so small and it's kind of at its core, like it's it's a company making a fake version of something real. And that was really real to Deckard. And that's why he was so um, he, see, he was kind of easy to say, like, this is not her. Like, I don't feel anything for this thing. And then they shoot her off screen. Yeah. I think it's pretty fucked up that they use her after she passed away. Uh, the actor's name is uh, Sean Young, and she does such a great job in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just fucking weird to like imagine if a loved one or even yourself after you die, they use your image for something like that's incredibly strange. And that is like a big problem 
that was uh, that's being dealt with and uh, with the SAG after strike. It's just strange, man. Like I, I I can't imagine being dead and then someone using my likeness in a movie. Like I would really hate that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is it is a, an incredibly powerful scene. Um, but it is also fucked up that they just like fucking shoot her in the head in the background. Yeah. <laughs> like, like have a little bit more respect for this woman who fucking just passed away. <laughs> yeah, they should have done that off screen or something. <laughs> yeah, just uh, yeah, or yeah, that would have been nice. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so from this scene, we see that Kay is out in Los Angeles. He's ready to take down um the Wallace Corp transpo and take down Deckard and everyone in there. Right before we get to that, we get to an another iconic, <laughs> literally him moment. Is deck is a uh, officer K is walking around and he interacts with a uh, advertisement for Joy, and this huge, huge, huge advertisement that's all purple tells Officer K, "You look lonely. I can fix that." And it's just like <laughs> he has this deadpan face. His nose was just broken. He's bleeding, and he just looks at this advertisement like, "God, go fuck yourself." <laughs> Yeah, because she Um, tells him, uh, you look like a good Joe. And he's like, fuck. (laughs) I can like, I honestly like, I can, I feel for him like in this moment. Because like if it were me and I were like connected to like this program and like I was going through an existential crisis of who I didn't know I was and what I should fight for. And then I see this person that I envision as like my partner and it's an advertisement and she says, you look like a good Joe. And I'd be thinking like, fuck, that's what she called me. And then I'd just be like, damn, none of this is real. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this is fucked. Yeah. That's pretty per- fucking powerful. Yeah. That's a, it's yeah. such a quick scene, but it's so powerful. Also, I want to point out another one of my favorite obscure memes is um, it's Ryan Gosling looking at this projection and his face is all purple. And then in this meme, it's his face, it's all purple. And then you see that he's looking at a Shen Yun uh, advertisement <laughs> billboard. <laughs> he's looking at a Taco Bell. <laughs> I think my favorite one is where they put him in a, they put, they take his face and they put him in a Grimace outfit. And it says Ryan Gosling is Grimace. <laughs> he's going to play Grimace. It's so good. It's such a powerful commentary too on, on society. I just like, so much shit is just manufactured. Even these movies that we watch. Yeah. Shit. And Anyways. this podcast. Once we get sponsored. <laughs> and this part. <laughs> it's all bullshit. Um, do you want to walk us through the final scene? Yeah. So K, something like awakens in K and he decides I'm going to fight for what I believe in. So he goes and intercepts his transport, takes down two other vehicles and there's a final confrontation once um, the transport that Love and Deckard's in goes down. He beats the fuck out of Love and drowns yeah. her to death. It, well, I guess, I don't know if they're dead or not, the replicants, but uh, he drowns die. her in the ocean. And instead of killing Deckard, he takes Deckard to the center where his daughter is because it is revealed that Dr. Anna is the daughter of Deckard and Rachel. And Deckard is surprised by this and he asks him why he's doing this and he says, like, you should be able to see your daughter. So go see your daughter. Because um, I, I don't remember if it's kind of explained at this point, but Kay was so sure that he 
um, was real and that he was like a son, possibly could have been a son to Deckard. And he wanted, I believe he wanted Dr. Anna to have the feeling of satisfaction to know who her father was. Or maybe I'm stupid. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, I think, but one thing I do want to ask that I am, I'm still confused about is that right before Deckard walks into the lab where the doctor is, uh, Deckard asks him like, who am I to you? And, um, uh, uh, Kay like says something to the effect of like, uh, like he doesn't answer him directly. And then he asks him like, are you all right? You're going to be okay. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. Go for it. But like, something that's still up in the air is that this replicant that gave birth to uh, the doctor also had a boy. So is it still possible that um, Officer K is the son of Deckard? It could could be. I mean, I like to think so, but... um... We honestly won't know until like if there's going to be a third Blade Runner, which I'm sure there can be. There's like there's definitely enough, um, uh, lore and and enough from this story to definitely lead into like a third act. Oh yeah, um, definitely. But I th- well when uh, when um when Deckard asked him like what am I to you I think uh. I think what Kay ultimately wants is to do like something like on his own, like what he, what he feels that he should do. And I feel like in this moment he felt like he wanted to just reunite a daughter with their father. And there's just way too much fucking background to explain in that moment. Like why I'm doing this. I would just be like, just go see your daughter, dude. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Dickhead. Fuck. (laughs) What's your daughter, you bum? <laughs> so yeah, uh, Deckard walks in. He um, uh, he gets to meet his daughter, but outside, um, Kay lies down on the snowy steps. He finally gets a chance to rest. He puts back his head. He reveals uh, that he has a really big stab wound in his abdomen, and we are led to believe that he dies on the steps right outside completing his mission and dying for a greater cause as everyone in the movie keeps reminding him that, that he's more than just a slave, that he is a person that can make his own decisions and that there is a greater cause that he should dedicate his time to. And at the end of the movie, that's what he did. And he fucking accomplished his, uh, his goals. So it's fucking awesome. He is no longer a slave. He is a master of his own life. Um, and that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the end of our podcast. So what I want to ask you next, Emilio, is let's give this thing a rating. So give me a summary of your feelings about the movie and then give it a rating from one to five. Oh, I absolutely love this movie. Um, from the story to the performances and especially the cinematography and the score. Um Dennis Villanueva works uh, alongside Roger Deakins on a lot of his uh, projects. Uh, Roger Deakins is the uh, cinematographer of this movie. Um, this is all, like also a movie too that really wanted me to kind of, or kind of like push me toward getting into more of this idea of creating film 
um, and also appreciating the um, cinematography and photography that goes along with it. Because, man, this movie looks insane. This is such a well-shot, well-directed movie. Um, so I w- I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5. Very respectable. Um, yeah, I fucking love this movie. Um, I'm so glad that I had a week off from work so that I could watch both of them back-to-back. Um, and um, both of them were so captivating, and I love them a lot. I want to give a big shout out to one of our listeners, Sebastian. Sebastian is a, a former avid student who I used to tutor, or actually he was too smart for me. I didn't tutor him directly, but he <laughs> kept asking us like, when the fuck are you guys going to do Blade Runner? So we're doing it now. So shut the fuck up, Sebastian. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do, I do love this movie very much. And I think it's fucking amazing. My one critique is like, I don't think there's enough people of color in the movie. It's, it's, it's like a lot of white people in the movie, which is very yeah. strange. It's kind of weird. I don't know if that's a commentary or done on purpose for some reason, but yeah, put more black people, put more people of color in this movie. But (laughs) that being said, um, I loved it a lot. I would definitely watch this again. And uh, yeah, hell yeah. Five out of five for me too. Um, So in the pantheon of Ryan Gosling movies, where are you going to place this one from an S to F score? Definitely, definitely an S tier. Um, You know, there was like a joke circulating around that Ryan Gosling kind of started playing these like, a uh, very nonverbal, um, standoffish, quiet people. But I mean, in the context of what this, what he is in this film, like it works very well, and you can see a lot of the acting that he does is through his physicality. Like you can tell that this is someone who is deeply flawed and deeply confused, and um is kind of lost in whatever world he's in and he doesn't have an idea of like where he stands or w- what importance he is to this world and then he realizes it and he fucking he he does what he sets out to do without anyone telling him what to do um so yeah i would definitely give him an S tier i thought he i thought he was really good in this film hell yeah um, I want to listen to all our episodes and see where our scores are because I feel like 90% of the movies we give an S score to. <laughs> but um, yeah, this movie fucking kicks ass. I think it's it's an amazing story. There's a lot of depth to it. It's visually fucking stunning. The sound quality is fucking stunning. Um, and I really like Ryan Gosling's character. He's a very stoic person in this one, not being his typical self. And uh, seeing Harrison Ford in the movie, too, is also very cool. It's always hard to make a part two, especially when the part two is 30 years after the original one. But I think they it's a huge fucking success. So I'm going to give this an S rating as well. So last thing. Are we literally him? Do you literally see yourself as Officer K. Joe? Yes. Why? Every reason in this movie why. <laughs> The only thing he doesn't do is he doesn't drink heavily. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll stop drinking. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I have to. Interlinked. <laughs> Interlinked. I'm going to do that every night before I go to bed. Hopefully my anxiety goes away. 
Um, I mean, I'm sure like everyone feels lost every now and then and existentially questions like what they're doing and where, what their place is in the world. And I'm sure people feel like they're meant for bigger, better things than being a fucking police officer that goes and kills robots and has a animated waifu at home. So eh, maybe a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Ryan Gosling really said a cab in this movie. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I, I feel the same way. I think the movie touches on themes about loneliness of existential crisis crises and um i think it it really taps into a human emotion of like what am i willing to stand for what am i willing to die for um and yeah those are questions that i ask myself maybe not every day but it does come up fairly often um and i really resonated with the character a lot um, he's a lonely person who is trying to navigate the world and also conflicted because he's probably serving an entity that's not great. Like I think about myself in education. I want to like be a person that creates a lot of change, but then I also have moments where I'm like, damn, am I just upholding like the system of policing that kids have to go through? So it's <laughs> like a lot of back and forth of like, fuck, this sucks. And I'm trying to do my best, but I don't know if I am doing the right thing. But Yeah. I really resonated with the character. So I would say I am literally him. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, any last comments, Emilio? Mm. Anything you're willing to die for? <laughs> Just stupid. <laughs> There's so many stupid things running across my head right now. <laughs> say one of them. Um, Hmm. Yeah, definitely um, doing, I guess, like, have feeling some type of, like, fulfillment in the sense of, like, um, having these big aspirations for myself, uh, big dreams, and I definitely find myself at points where I am uh, feeling of wanting to do more and be more and i do believe that no matter what i will always continue to try to figure out how to obtain those things and do those things so definitely feel a passion for that so i guess i'm literally officer k2 i just need to download a joy program in my home then i'll be literally him I mean, you do talk to your Siri kind of lovingly from time to time. Yeah. I did download like a a new voice that's anadarmous, so. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Siri, baby, can you take me back home, please? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. You guys should give us a rating. Emilio, what should they rate us? A five out of five, especially if you are one of those people that we are concerned about that uh, really connects with Kay. You should definitely give us a five out of five. Yeah. Come on, guys. Aren't you willing to die for this podcast? Doesn't it sound (laughs) really cool? Okay. So next, we're going to watch the United States of Leland. 
has a nice 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. So we're going to, oh, fucking Kevin Spacey's in it too. Yikes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yikes. Hell yeah. Sorry, we're going to watch. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Problem- a problematic episode. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. All right, y'all. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.